Welcome to this week's webinar uh, from ICMD on Theology of Disease and Global Health. Uh, I was just reminded that this is our 99th webinar in a series of webinars we started beginning uh, during lockdown in 2020, April. Today, we have Dr. Daniel O'Neill, and it's a great privilege for me to introduce Dr. Daniel. Daniel is MD, MTH, is a physician theologian. He's a managing editor of the Christian Journal of Global Health. He's an assistant pro clinical professor of family medicine at the University of Connecticut School of Medicine, and also holds a master's degree in theological studies from Bethel Seminary. He has served on health and development projects among impoverished or displaced populations. He's the co-founder of Health for All Nations and author and co-editor of the book, All Creation Groans Towards the Theology of Disease and Global Health. He will present to us a fourfold theological framework for health-related mission, revealing God's healing intentions in creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Starting with creation, health, and wholeness, he will help us to go through the origins of disease process through corruption, fractured, fractured relationships, uh, and then place a compelling biblical call to participate in salvation, healing, and mission for an active engagement for us as healthcare workers, showing us what healing is and what it requires and what it results in the abundant life. Welcome once again, and over to you, Daniel, for sharing your thoughts on this very important topic. Thank you, Santosh. Um, it's uh, such a pleasure to um, join uh, back with the ICMDA. I've been to two uh, congresses and uh, I've appreciated uh, interacting with uh, Peter and, uh, and with Santosh and, and Josh, and um, uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, at, at the University of Connecticut here uh, in the United States, I have uh, the privilege of teaching medical students and um, also working with uh, the organization called Health for All Nations, uh, where it's more of a think tank of the integration between theology and disease and uh, global health and development. Um, why study theology of disease and global health? Well, first of all, it is a reason, a raison d'etre in French, which means reason for existence. This gives us some idea of why we do what we do. It creates touch points with the ancient texts and we'll actually touch on some uh, ancient words uh, that relate to health and healing. It also helps us to deepen our devotion to Christ. It helps us to sustain ourselves in the challenges of healthcare delivery and public health delivery. Theology also helps us draw maps of meaning within the world, it gives us an opportunity for us to integrate our faith and our practice. It helps us to understand the world in which we serve. And uh, the, the part of the global uh, is important in terms of how this applies globally. So there are four, in theology, there are four aspects of 
redemptive history. There is creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And in many ways, we can create a framework of this creation narrative leads to right relationships between God and humanity, between humanity and the earth. And that we call shalom in the Hebrew texts. And that's what we might liken to maybe the first year of medical school, physiology, normal function, the way things should be. But the fall occurred, we fell into sin, led to disease, and we study maybe in second year of medical school, pathology, pathophysiology, the way things should not be, or what we might call a violation of shalom. Then we get to redemption, which we would say is healing and the call of God in our lives to experience and to promote healing among the nations. And that's what we call praxis or practice. In consummation, it gives us a view for the future about what is in store for those who love God and what God has in store for his people. We call that mission. And when we go about mission, we participate with God in actualizing his intentions. And that gives us purpose. So creation, fall, redemption, consummation, shalom, disease, healing, and mission. And in medicine, physiology, pathology, practice, and purpose. The grand healing narrative can be broken down into these four categories, which we present in our Christian Global Health in Perspective course, which is offered by ICMDA last fall and is going to be offered again this fall and possibly on a yearly basis uh, to people interested in diving deeper into these uh, questions. The course itself is biblical basis, historical, cultural, and strategic. Kind of like the Perspectives in the World Christian Movement course, similar. Uh, but more in tune with health provi healthcare providers and global health uh, actors. So creation, health, and wholeness is uh, our first category. Then the fall disease, suffering, and death is a second category. The third lesson is salvation, healing, and mission. So the first three we will uh, dive into uh, during this co uh, conversation. First creation, health, and wholeness. This is more like the way things should be, the way things were. God created order out of chaos, out of tohu wabohu in Hebrew, means formless and void. He created the earth and he called it very good. It established a right relationship between, within ourselves as human beings created in the image and likeness of God as well as others between the genders, between all nations that Adam and Eve represented and the right relationship with our creator who was pleased with the way things were. 
and that even our relationship with the earth, stewarding the earth, being having dominion over the created order and being in a sense, the crowning glory, it says in the New Testament of God's creation and yet intimately part of that creation. But he gave us image of God creativity and stewardship so that we could discover things, so that we could plan uh, to actualize these things that God has in mind for us and that we can discover solutions to problems. And that's what the Hebrew word here is shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word that signifies uh, God's ultimate intention for us. But we get to not too long into the creative creation narrative uh, when the serpent enters the garden. And the ultimate consequence of our rebellion was material curses. He said, cursed is the earth. And that can be manifest in genetic mutations, which uh, are sequences of ideas and information that is aberrant or mutated and um, off-center for the original plan. But we see how closely these mutations and disease processes are tied in with moral infractions with violations of shalom in the relationship that God intended for us from the beginning. So that led also to physical impurities, that instead of our bodies being uh, pure and temples of God's presence, uh, they became contaminated. And, sorry, the, the disordered states of being, uh, it was the consequence that the chaos re-entered into the um, creation. Uh, remember, we came from formless and void, came into a beautiful scenario that God had for us. And we can see that the serpent in the garden was an adversary, that he was an invasion. And that is something that we deal with all the time, invasive species. But it also is characterized by satanic deception and ultimately leading to degrees of meaninglessness in our world. It leads to broken relationships within the self about our own identity, our relationships with others, that is other people, that is other genders, other races and other ideologies. And that creates a great deal of conflict as we, some, we are experiencing now in Eastern Europe. But also with the within the environment, our relationship to the environment is impaired. And we see that with global warming and other uh, toxic pollution, et cetera. But also broken relationships with created spirit agents. And, and of course, with God. And disease itself, as we discover in our lives, is personal for the individual. It's also public and communal and collective. And it's also global. And we've seen with this most recent pandemic how global it is within a short period of time. 
and a simple beta coronavirus can affect so much, uh, so many problems. But fall and disease and suffering and death are also a wake-up call for our frailty and our mortality, a reminder that we are, as the scriptures say, but grass, which appears for a while and then vanishes. It's a reminder of our need for redemption. And it's a disordering of God's intentions from the beginning. It's also a degeneration, as we see with degenerative diseases, from a pristine state, a good state. And it's a disorientation of mind and matter. As Ralph Winter wrote, and we discuss Ralph Winter in our book, All Creation Groans, physical distortions and intellectual delusions are something that we all have to contend with. And it's a result of the effects of an ecology of sin. And we'll look into that next. So sin is a rebellion against God's healing and sustaining intentions. Howard Snyder writes, viewing sin as a deadly disease, a fatal infection, helps us grasp what sin is and how it affects humans and all creation. But this ecology of sin, and I wrote a whole chapter in the book on this, uh, can be viewed at not just as individual sin, but as celestial sin, that is the sin of created spirit agents, that is Satan and the demons that fell, uh, which is often not a popular subject in academia and certainly not in science but something to contend with as we understand the realities uh, that we have to face. Original sin, of course, affected all of humanity. And then sin goes through the generations, that sins are visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation, and also affects systems and even health systems. Um, and it, of course, individual sin. As Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, man's real problem is not simply that he is sick, but that he is a rebel. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, by the way, was a British physician who then became a pastor. I, I think he realized he could not do both, so he ended up leaving his practice, which was probably wise. Patrick Pulliam says, there is nothing that speaks more of the reality of sin and judgment than disease and death. There is nothing that reveals more of God's saving love and grace than health and healing. And Daniel Salmasi is a, a Catholic friar. He wrote, healing is truly an evangelical act. It announces all this good news. It is a special sign of God's promise of universal right relationship. So what is the good news? We get into salvation, healing, and mission in our third lesson. We know that in the Old Testament scriptures, uh, the Old Covenant, uh, we have human beings lived in enemy-occupied territory east of Eden since the fall, no longer having access to the tree of life. But God created a way 
he created covenants. And he created a covenant with Abraham, who he chose out of all the families of the earth to be a blessing to the nations. And he was told through his seed, all nations would be blessed. Now for God's people, the Torah protected people from disease and suffering in a very systematic public and individual health codes that were written into the law and created a little outpost of shalom that God himself described himself as the healer in Exodus 15, 26, Yahweh Rapha. And this is often lost in theology. God is thought of in many ways, but not so much healer. And I think that needs to be recaptured in our schools of theology. That God creates Bethels. Bethel means house of God instead of Babylon or Beth Babel, where we try to create our own uh, ethics and our own systems. God wants to dwell with us. And he says, choose life when he, they, his people were in the promised land. He said, I have set before you blessings and curses. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. And the prophets warned of the consequences of disobedience and moving away from God's intentions. He calls the, the trifecta sword, famine, and plague. And one third of the Psalms, the songs of the ancient Israelites were lament Psalms, but they also longed for rescue and healing. And we see justice called for toward the orphan, the widow, the poor, and the foreigner. And we see that in the Old Testament script, scriptures, temporal physical healing is an approximation or almost a representation of the possibility of eternal salvation. In Jeremiah, he writes, heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. And that word is Rapha. Save me and I will be saved. And the Hebrew word is Yasha. For you are the one I praise. And in Jeremiah, uh, God moves toward healing an incurable wound, um, toward restoration and healing, toward soundness, which is God's intention. And that Hebrew word is Aruka. And then when we get to Hezekiah, prayed earnestly for God to heal him. And he did. He, gave him, I think, 15 years, and Hezekiah rejoiced, Lord, by such things people live, and my spirit finds life in them too. You restored me to health and let me live. The living, the living praise you. And that word health is chalam, which has two meanings. It means either to dream prophetically, that is, to visualize a preferable future, or to be strong and healthy. And Hezekiah then became a healer and interceded on behalf of others because of God's grace toward him. So when we move toward healing others, we give them a better opportunity to praise the living God.
Wise speech and pleasant words bring healing, just as the Father's words bring life and health. And that word is marfe. In good news, in Hebrew, shoa the gospel is healing to the bones. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, there's no surprise that he would be a healer. Jesus said in his hometown that today in your hearing, the prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled, that the dead would rise, that the blind would see, and Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, saved and healed. And when John asked, are you the one? He said, he explained that the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, and the good news is preached to the poor. So Jesus healed with compassion. He dealed, his disciples were sent to do likewise. First 12, then 72, to preach and heal and to witness to the power of God. And that's what evangelism in its fullness is. But not everybody believes. Only 10% of the lepers that were cleansed returned to give praise and thanks to Jesus and be fully healed. And that Hebrew, that Greek word is different. It's so-so or saved. And healing was extended to Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, Canaanites. And the relationship with God was restored. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And that Greek word for peace is Irene, which is the Hebrew is shalom. So shalom is beginning to be restored through Christ. Uh, for the interest of time, I won't go into much detail about these, but healing can be considered salvation. Uh, I wrote a recent paper on uh, the fullness of salvation uh, and liberation, being set free, wholeness, which is actually in the text of scripture in the word holoclerius, blessedness or beatitudno, which is happiness, peace, as we talked about, and then flourishing. I wrote a recent paper with the MICA Global Conference about um, Aristotle's view of audomonia, which means good spirit. Salvation is healing, it is restoration of structure, function, purpose, and meaning. Healing is redemption that no human being is ever beyond repair, and they are of infinite worth in God's eyes. That healing is reconciliation. Second Corinthians five, God is reconciling all things to himself in heaven and on earth. And that, and that healing is considered renewal. Uh, and God is renewing all things, Revelation 21.5. And that's the view that we can set before us. But healing requires a few things. It requires sacrifice, requires touch and talk, compassion, which is the Greek word splanknos, where we get the word splanknic artery for you surgeons. The word of God, logos, in the beginning was the word. 
repentance, which means a changed mind, purification, where uh, the Greek word is katharisa, where we get the word catheter from, to drain purity, impurities toward holiness or hagnesio, to be set apart for God's purposes. But that requires virtue. And virtue is not something we can conjure up in ourselves. It's something that God gives us by grace. Uh, temperance, fortitude, prudence, and justice are the uh, four cardinal virtues that lead to health and healing. And acquiring virtue means rejecting vice and breaking vicious cycles that lead us to disease processes. As Wilbert Schenck wrote in 2001, all the forces and powers that touch human life come under scrutiny. Those that oppress the poor and destroy life are to be exposed and denounced. Good news means that men and women can be set free from life-destroying powers. So global health is probably the best definition I see is this very concise definition collaborative transnational research and action to promoting health for all. Not too far off from what God's intentions are, that Jesus came, that may have, we may have life and have it to the full. Ultimately for global health, for the renewal of all things and the new heavens and the new earth, all the leaves of the tree are for the healing. And that word is therapeutic, which we, get therapy from, of the nations. And nations are not just geopolitical uh, structures, but ethnic people groups throughout the world. Those are some of our references. Um, and I look forward to the discussion. Um, and um, I'm glad to turn the time over to Santosh. Uh, thank you very much for your, for your time and attention. Thank you, uh, Daniel, for that excellent overview on uh, health, healing, theology of health, and global health. Um, for those who came in late, that was uh, Dr. Daniel O'Neill presenting on theology of theology of disease and global health. Uh, for those who came in late, you can also this webinar is being translated into Chinese and Russian. So if you want. To listen to the question answer itself, you can go to the interpretation button and click there. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, and I just want to, uh, there are a few questions coming up in the uh, question answer uh, uh, box. Uh, those who have your questions, please put up in the question answer box. I was uh, uh, interested to listen to what you said about uh, God created Bethels and man creates Babel and Babylon. I was just wondering, the current healthcare systems are they, are they uh, battles or Babels and Babylon? What does it make? What does it involve to move from being a Babylon to move to a Bethel? Uh, any thoughts on it? Well, um, I think that I think God's because of uh, the original what I described as enemy occupied territory, uh, that there is a taint of sin and evil in every system, including religious systems, but
but also governments and multilateral organizations, etc., churches. So we have to understand that uh, I think God's intention is to create Bethel's, the house of God, in different parts of the world in order to be salt and light and to influence Babylon and to counter Babel. Babel, the Babel concept is we can do this alone without God. And of course, Babylon is uh, in the book of Revelation, you know, the, the standard uh, opposition to the people of God. Um, so healthcare systems, I think, have some taint, some corruption. And as we speak to the powers uh, as Christians, we can hopefully influence them toward becoming more of a reflection of a Bethel and less of a reflection of Babylon in terms of the, the work that we do. Thank you. Our role is to create Bethels in the midst of the tainted uh, systems we are part of. Uh, Angel Wong asks, uh, how can uh, we, through more healthy eyes, look at disease and global health between developing countries? How do you, how can you, through more healthy eyes, I suppose she's asking, how can we develop that perspective of looking at this is a global health by our own eyes being healthy? Well, I think uh, a lot of it starts with um, understanding that uh, God's heart for the poor and that developing countries have a higher percentage of, of poverty and therefore are perhaps heavier on the heart of God. The poor, uh, Jesus said, you will always have among you. Uh, so, but the poor are often more able to open up their hearts to the gospel. And the rich sometimes uh, are closed toward that. Um, God calls for both the poor and the rich toward justice and justice, uh, sometimes might mean uh, a sharing of wealth. And for developing countries, I think we realize that the gospel, when it goes forth, when you form Bethels, let's say, that there is more justice, that there is more shared wealth, that there is more uh, opportunity. And I think that can be borne out in history. Uh, so that should encourage us to not only pay attention to developing countries to po impoverished populations, uh, but also uh, to uh, to not forget that the gospel is the is what is the most sustainable um, aspect of any intervention that we would uh, offer. Thank you, uh, Andrew Tompkins is uh, making a comment uh, saying that you describe clearly how disease is a result of various factors with a focus on the fall. All of us die at some stage from various patholo pathologies and diseases. The question is, is death from such pathologies part of God's plan for our planet? Uh, yes, thank you, Andrew. It's an honor to hear that question from you. Um, uh, well, I think you, it, it depends on how you look at God's plan. So his intention was never to have that happen in the first place, but because he gave human beings free will, 
then they in turn, uh, and this gets to original sin, that portion of the ecology of sin, which affects us, the soul who sins will surely die. So, you know, we may be, we may practice righteousness and yet we still succumb to deterioration and death because of, because of our rebellion, I would say, uh, from the Christian worldview. So is it God's plan? It's not his intention, but his plan is to judge sin. And in a sense, the consequences of sin are, in a sense, the requirement that we have to deteriorate and ultimately to die. But that's a difficult question. Yeah, it's not God's plan, but it's a consequence of uh, sin. Thank you. Uh, One um participant has asked this question the 12 and 72 were not medically qualified yet were sent out to heal these days do we need to be medically qualified to be able to heal the whole question of can non-healthcare practitioners heal well i just wrote a paper for uh presented a paper at fuller seminary in california united states and it was about um the the healing uh, the healing call of the ch- all the church every single individual in the church is called to heal and it might be teaching your children to love God it might be teaching uh, virtue it might be helping your neighbor and feeding your children nutritious foods so you don't have to be a professional to participate in God's healing intentions. It's part of God's plan from the very beginning for the whole church. There's a comment and a um, question on uh, the whole issue of uh, health and healing as restoration of health as symbolic of salvation. Let me read it out. One or more of the quotes you use seem to suggest that healing and restoration of health are symbolic of salvation. Given that God himself calls himself Rafa, isn't healing itself an aspect of salvation? Restoration of life and ability, destined for service to God and not removed from Christ's salvific purpose itself. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases or your faith has healed you as you find the Jewish Testament. Yes, that gets to a, a blind spot in West, Western theology in particular. And Western theologians are starting to understand salvation as much more than saving from sin and to eternal life. It is that, but it's also salvation is uh, in its very basic sense, sozo is translated both healed and saved. So uh, for example, uh, I, I quoted um, uh, Howard Snyder, who wrote a book called Salvation is Creation Healed. So there's a continuum on the continuum of disease and death, and there's a continuum between life and a, a health and life. So it would be an interesting exercise to read the Bible and in where it says life, put health where it says death put disease it's a as a healthcare providers that might be an interesting exercise uh, and 
I would say that uh, Western theologians are starting to understand salvation as uh, the creation healed, which includes the human body, and that God's intention is to, in the resurrection, uh, so first of all, God in the incarnation hallowed the human body. So we're not, we have to move from evangelical Gnosticism, which thinks that we're just uh, spirits entrapped in, in, in a, a body, in a body, but yeah. that the body itself is God's intention to be healed and to, as, with the spirit and with, with the, the mind and the, which is the soul. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's very important to, uh, hold that. Uh, Claudia is asking a question. Why did he choose the definition of global health by Beagle Hole? Beagle Hole, I think, yeah. Uh, she says that this does not differentiate between global and international health, though both are different. Uh, well, um, well, you can, uh, you can pick a any different definition. I just happen to like that one. I don't think it's comprehensive because it does uh, include the transcendent. Uh, you, I would encourage you to read uh, Beagle's article. It's open access. I also included a uh, paper that was written by uh, somebody that was with CMF before. Uh, um, um, Cutter and he wrote a book, uh, he wrote a, uh, this question about is global health kind of the new mission paradigm for medical missions? And I'd encourage you to read that because it looks into definitions. I think if, if Christians see what we understand is global health movements of international health, whether you call it international health or global health, was really formative in the mission enterprise that missionaries were really the first and foremost global health actors. And they've subsequently been taken over by secular humanist, uh, you know, people of goodwill. Uh, but I think we can recapture uh, some of what global health is and maybe redefine what we mean by global health. So I encourage you to read those two articles there. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, I think uh, that is the comment on uh, Healing and poverty also can be caused by injustice and uh, inequalities within local communities or global society. Uh, how can church or how does the church promote shalom in such a context of uh, injustice and inequalities? That is from Foley. Yeah, uh, Foley Lagunda. Hello, Foley. <laughs> He's a good friend from Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, mission leader. Uh, I. Uh, Foley, I, um, yeah, I, I think when there's injustice, uh, it leads to all kinds of displaced populations, uh, violence, uh, misogyny, uh, uh, gender-based violence. So the church has a role to speak into health and healing by standing up for justice, advocating for the poor. Uh, uh, Jesus said, don't be afraid what you're going to say when you're brought before the powers and you know the mennonites in the united states have have written on the subject of witnessing to the powers and that's advocacy and so that is a healing action uh, it's not health care but it 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 has all kinds of downstream 
benefits for the health and well-being of not just the church but the whole community mm. thank you i think it's important to thank you for that reminder one perspective i am taking off from your this thing is that the macro and the micro the advocacy the taking care of the social determinants of health the injustice of poverty is also part of the healing ministry of christ and our role at the same time healing of the individual itself in its wholeness uh, in his or her wholeness uh, thank you for that uh, you know, holding both together that great uh, balancing of both together and bring that together uh, angel wong is asking a question about the uh, genetic diseases like in west africa like mediterranean blood greed and other things how does the theological point of view look at this unsolved problems of human human genetic disorders um well i think um um i think the the bible just say that it's it's the glory of man to search things out so when we have unsolved mysteries and we have imago day intent intelligence to search them out i think god invites us to participate in exploration and trying to solve uh, difficult problems um there is intractable problems genetic mutations that are just uh deep and embedded in the matrix of our uh dna uh, systems and um uh so there are some things that are unrecoverable there's some diseases that are fatal uh regardless of our best intentions and that's part of the humility that takes that we cannot we are not like jesus who healed all manner of diseases we can do a portion but we have to be comfortable with the fact that we will fail at times and that uh, creates a degree of humility but at the same time calls us to uh higher levels of exploration and discovery and one one uh, comment that you mentioned santosh both the public or the collective and the individual is that jesus had compassion on the crowds as how harassed and helpless but he also paid attention to individuals when they disrupted yes. his agenda and uh, had cared for sparrows and counted the hairs on our head so it was both individual and collective he walked into the house of simon to take care of simon's mother-in-law at the same time took care of the crowd that picture of personal care at the same time larger uh, community care thank you uh, gerrit is uh, asking a question about how do you see the balance between medical science that is evidence based healthcare and healing and god's power through prayer intercession and as healing uh yeah thanks gerrit um well i think it's a both and uh the charismatic movement in global christianity is uh has has focused and dealt much in the way of spiritual forces and exorcisms and uh, that type of thing um our book is very clear that we uh we need to have an awareness of satan and demons and um where healthcare where biomedicine is absent uh i think god might stand in the gap with some of the methods that are more um more explained in the 
New Testament and the Old Testament. Um, but I think uh, I, I, I practice medicine, but I pray over my patients uh, when they ask or what, if they give permission. And uh, in primitive and developing countries, I've, I've um, worked with pastors to practice exorcism at the same time delivering treatment for malaria, not knowing in the mystery of, of God uh, uh, upstream cause, but we can still be conscious of the system, uh, the, the spiritual world, as well as the metaphysical, that is the metaphysical world, as well as the, the physical world, and that um, they're not mutually exclusive, and that takes a degree of uh, uh, maybe working outside of our training and working uh, to learn more about the other aspects. Thank you. Uh, uh, there is a question, uh, a question and a comment from Anu Komanchu. I'm curious to learn about people living with certain diseases being involved in promoting health in the Bible. I'm a person living with NCD, healed many times by Christ. I'm also a global health student. I want to explore opportunities in health promotional activities in the church community in preventing NCDs. Well, the NCDs and the, um, you know, are a big problem in, around the world. Uh, we can look at them um, as afflictions. And that, this, is, this is a part of what we discuss in the book a lot is um, despite affliction and possibly because of affliction, God makes us wounded healers. Uh, I had a, a Volkman's ischemic contracture in my arm when I was in a, a, a car accident. I called Paul Brand, who worked in India. He's a hand surgeon. I asked him about an upcoming surgery I had, and he said it would be immoral for me to give recommendations on the surgery, but I can tell you that your wounds, which are visible to your patients, will be uh, very healing to them and that you will identify with them more than ever. And I've never been healed of that affliction or that disability, and yet uh, God uses it. And I think that the Christian worldview is under no illusions that we would be healed of all of our diseases at on demand. Uh, and you know, there's problematic uh, theology of health and wealth that uh, is, is corrected, I think, by an understanding of suffering and that through suffering, we are made to trust God more and that through affliction, uh, God empowers us beyond our own means to be able to live and to love and to worship and to serve. So I... I uh, uh, I think I think that the Bible has it pretty well covered, uh, whether we live with affliction or that we overcome affliction. But God's intention is ultimate healing and that in the resurrection, uh, we can be sure that our bodies will be fully restored, even as Jesus had the scars on his hands to to show uh, that he suffered for the sake of humanity. And, uh, and yet God has what in store for us is a, is a wonderful leaves uh, on the tree of life for the healing of the nations where no more tears, no more 
no more disease. So we'll be out of jobs, I'm afraid, healthcare providers. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, that reminder is very important. We are wounded healers. All of us carry brokenness within our own lives and that sometimes can be uh, a channel of healing for others. A couple of more questions. Yusuf from Sudan is asking this question. Um, as you mentioned, the fall can be associated with the pathology of disease. Uh, can you shed more light on the relationship disease and be demonized as a cause, causation of disease? The whole uh, demonic uh, possession and uh, uh, or demonization as the cause of disease. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, I, I think that uh, Western world has demythologized much of the teachings in the Bible about demon possession. And we've tried to allegorize the uh, those those writings, uh, but I think I think we need to restore the idea that uh, demons can have some effect on the and a part of our book. Uh, there's two chapters by Gregory Boyd, a theologian, who speaks of the corruption of nature hypothesis, that nature at the very uh, at its very fundamental side has been corrupted by not just human sin, but also by uh, angelic sin. And, uh, and that, uh, uh, but yet, if you look at all the diseases Jesus healed, not all of them were described as demon possession. Some of them were just uh, corruption, natural corruption. <clears throat> and he used many means, many methods, some distance, many by touch, by spoken word, uh, and he, he cast out demons uh, in some, but not all. So I think that we have to have a, a comprehensive approach to, to that, to disease, uh, and not to, not to ignore uh, the spiritual side of uh, uh, demons, no matter how uncomfortable it might be from people trained in the West. Thank you. I think Martin Lloyd-Jones was one of the earliest, very good teachers on this whole concept of identifying, recognizing the spiritual versus the physical. And I've enjoyed his writings. Thank you for that. We need to hold that together. Uh, recognize that there is definitely the evil and its influence on our bodies. Uh, Dinara uh, asking a question, if a Christian patient has a severe depression, suicide, will it be conscious choice or a result of the disease? What will happen to the soul of a believer as a result of suicide? Well, I think I, that's a good question. Only God knows. Just like God only knows who are his. Uh, you know, his grace is very deep and very long. And um, I think there's a, uh, I think Catholics many times look at the moment uh, that, that you make a decision as, as whether it's a mortal sin or not. Uh, I think we need to understand the depth and the wisdom and knowledge of God is much greater than us. And hmm. Despair is, a, is, is an affliction of the soul and the internal self. And um, we, we just pray for God's healing in that area. Mm. Some of this only God knows the answers. We may not, we will not get the answer this side of eternity probably. Yeah. Uh, Nils uh, McGraw is asking a question. In, a ter in this terrible time of war, how do we serve the aggressor? There are many, obviously many suffering Russians too. Well, I think that's pretty obvious that you love your enemies. 
and you do good to those who persecute you. You pray for your enemies. Uh, I think the big problem in human history is that we vilify or demonize uh, a, a whole groups of people, and that we uh, and that we glorify other groups of people, and that creates lots of conflict. Hmm. You know, human beings are, in a sense, like Jesus looked at the crowds as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So we cannot. We have to be careful not to ascribe evil to, let's say, Russians, uh, or them to ascribe evil to Ukrainians or or NATO, whatever the conflict would be at the time uh, that God seeks peace, shalom, Irene, in the world, and and uh, and knowing that um, uh, that that is His intention. I think peace and and not not death. Yeah, we pray. Yeah, we're coming to the end of our uh, time. There's one more, maybe one more last question. Uh, how do you apply this theology in maternal and neonatal health? Where clearly one of the consequences of sin is painful labor and birth, in a very broad sense. How does gospel affect this, and what is the implication for that, of that for the church and global health? Well, uh, pain is one thing, but in global health, uh, maternal uh, mortality is is a massive problem, uh, postpartum hemorrhage and puerperal sepsis. So uh, what we can do, I think, is try to afford uh, birth attendants and train birth attendants, and um, and that mitigates uh, the consequences of original sin, uh, whether we give them an epidural or anesthesia or not. <laughs> um, and it's an allegory too for the pain of giving birth to the children of God, uh, disciples, and also Jesus's pain on the cross, who for the joy set before him endured the pain of the cross and sat down on the right hand of the father. So uh, we can't be afraid of suffering at the same time. Uh, we need to uh, see what God is teaching us through it and, and then rise to the occasion of helping others uh, to mitigate uh, the consequences. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel, for that excellent presentation and responding to all these complex questions. Thank you all for joining. Thank you. Have a good week and see you again next Thursday.